Today, our scripture comes from Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and following. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and that your word goes forth to pierce our hearts and our minds and draw us closer to you. So make us ready to hear your word today and what you would have to say to us through it. We pray that you will speak through Ryan and that his words will fall away and that your word and your truth, your promises will hold fast and grip our hearts and our minds as we continue um, in teaching and in worship of you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I was in Singapore doing a, I'm doing a, a doctorate on discipleship, and I'm studying under Dr. Robert Coleman. It's, it was just a great time, but on the way there, I was, I was on a lot of hours of flying in an airplane, a, a lot, a lot of hours, like a 40-hour total trip on the way back. It was just ridiculous. But anyway, I, I have one of those stories that, that you're probably going to cringe at because it's one of those pastor airplane stories, you know what I'm talking about? It's like the pastor, you know, he sits on the airplane. It's from, it's from Birmingham to Atlanta. He leads a thousand people to Christ. It's one of those stories. So, <laughs> No, not really, but, but kind of. Uh, I, was, I was on a plane uh, from Qatar, which is in the Middle East. Uh, the Singapore is about an eight-hour flight. And I happened to sit next to this, uh, these two 26-year-old uh, folks from Canada uh, that were headed to Singapore as well. One of them was a Ph.D. student uh, wrapping up her Ph.D., uh, and another one uh, was a guy that worked for a cruise ship, and and so I, we're we're sitting there, we're kind of cutting it up, we're we're talking, and all of a sudden they want to go deep, and I was like, okay, I can go deep, we can do that, and so they're saying like, hey, what are you doing in Singapore, and and uh, you know, what do you do for a living, and and uh, all of that kind of stuff, and and so I, I kind of respond, I told them, then I responded back, and I just said, hey, what do you think your purpose in life is? Just a little, we got eight hours, we can figure it out, right? <laughs> I said, hey, what do, you, what do you think it is? And they kind of fumbled around. I said, you guys are ambitious people. You're getting a PhD. You're traveling the world working for a cruise ship. You're having fun. And they kind of fumbled around, and really what they both ended up saying was, I don't know. Can you help me figure it out? I don't know. Can you, can you help me figure it out? What, what is your purpose in life. They, they, see, they both had fundamentally different lifestyles, fundamentally different approaches to life and the things that they were participating in and doing, but they both had the same question. Could someone please tell me why I'm here? Can someone please tell me what I'm supposed to be doing? And they asked me, and I said, you know, my life, uh, I've been exactly where you're at, I told them. Um, but then I said, you know, my life is really, uh, my, my, it, it's quite simple what God's called me to do. It's to give my life away to help people follow Jesus. That, that's it. That's, that's what God's called me to, and I, and I want to do that as best as I can. Right now, I'm serving as a pastor of a church, and, uh, and that's the best way to do that and what God's called me to do. But there's a lot of people in my church that they work different types of jobs, and they have the same mission. They have the same call to help people, to follow Jesus and help people follow Jesus. That's my one thing, I told them. That's what I'm, that's what I'm about. That's what I'm called to do. And, and what, I, what I began to realize as I was talking with them is that we're all looking for someone to tell us what we're supposed to be doing. And the reason is, is because 
you know, when you look in Genesis chapter 1, it's interesting because when, when, when God has the raw matter of the earth, it says that the earth was formless and void. It was raw material. Because of what has happened in the world and in our lives, we are very much the same way. We're distorted. We've, we've experienced this distortion in life, and we have this kind of void in our lives, and we're, we're a bit formless. We're looking for someone to, to shape, to craft, to mold, and to tell us what we're supposed to be about. So my aim uh, this morning is pretty simple. It's this. My, my aim is to encourage you and to equip you to give your life away for the most worthy calling on the planet, which is to make disciple makers. That's what I'm going after this morning. So our big idea from Acts chapter 14 is this. The mission of Jesus through your life is making, maturing, and multiplying responsible disciple makers. Let me say it again. The mission of Jesus through your life is making, maturing, and multiplying responsible disciple makers. People who actually steward the mission that God has given them in this world. So You'll notice that I'm not preaching all of Acts 14 today. I'm preaching a section of it. I want to give you a quick recap of what's been happening in Acts 14 here. Paul's on his first missionary journey, um, and it's it set out from Antioch in Syria. Uh, and the heart of the mission is worship of Jesus. How can we spread the fame and glory of Jesus to as many places as we can on this mission? And so the strategy was to find common ground in these different global cities that they would go into. Uh, and they, they would try to connect it to the gospel. So in Acts 14, you see uh, Paul going into a synagogue, finding, finding what's familiar to him. He knows Judaism well, and trying to bridge the gap to Jesus. He's, he's finding what's similar there. And, and so that happens in Antioch in Syria, and Antioch in Pisidia, uh, Iconium, which is in Turkey, uh, Lystra, which is in Turkey, Derby, which is in Turkey. And, uh, and then... And then he, <laughs> And then, you know, he, he, we see this pattern of what he comes across in these churches. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. The, the pattern of the growth of the gospel looks like this. First, it's proclamation. You make the gospel known, which is the truth about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. That he, that he, died, that he came, he lived a sinless life, he died a sinner's death, and he rose from the grave, overcoming death and sin. And we, by faith in Jesus overcome death as well we have eternal life so that's that's the message of the gospel and he's making that known and what happens after he proclaims it is that he meets opposition so proclamation opposition perseverance fruit that's the pattern of making disciples let me say it again proclamation opposition perseverance fruit most of us never get past opposition but what we see with Paul is that anytime you proclaim the gospel, you're going to meet opposition because there's something incredibly offensive about telling people that they're dead in their sin. It should offend us. But then when you couple that with the gospel, it's really good news that there's hope for life. And so, so let me show you just, just what happened on this journey, kind of the, the map of the journey. So here's, here's, here's kind of a big picture of this journey. Um, if you can see it, you know, Antioch and Syria is over here on the right, and they, they go around by ship to, to, uh, to Persia and all those kind of cities in Galatia, and they end up in Derby. So, so, so Paul is in Derby when we get to Acts 14. Now, here's the way that Paul should have gone back to Antioch if he would have plugged it in his GPS. All right, let me show you. All right, right here, the way of Google. This would have been actually the other way around, but the arrow should, 
So from Derby to Antioch, he should have gone that way. That would have been the most direct route. I mean, Google had calculated the traffic on 85. It was the perfect route. But for some reason, here's how Paul goes back home. He's in Derby. What does he do? If we can go back, yeah. The way of the Holy Spirit, yeah. So this is, this is the Holy Spirit's GPS. You just flip the arrow around. But you go from Derby all the way back to Antioch. So what Paul does is he goes back and he retraces every step that he took that got him there. Now, why does he do that? Because he believes in making disciples. Because it's not just this one-stop shop where you, you drop a gospel bomb and you kind of keep moving on. He wanted to go back and to strengthen those churches. Friends, disciple-making is incredibly inconvenient and inefficient. If you're looking for something efficient, for a quick fix, disciple-making is not it. It's not it because it takes life on life and lots of time to make disciple-makers. If it took Jesus three years, why do we think it will take us any less time? Jesus was setting a model for us as he gave his life away to these 12 men so they could give it away to us. So here's my three points that I want to talk about. Not even in the sermon yet, but we're going. Three points are this. I'm going to tell you where I'm going, and then I'm going to go where I'm going. Okay? Uh, the first point is this, is, is that uh, the, the, the mission is this, making disciples of Jesus. Second one is this, maturing disciples of Jesus. The third one is this, multiplying disciples of Jesus. So let's dig in. Acts chapter 14. Open your Bible up. You're going to need it this morning. Uh, starting in verse 21. This is, what, uh, this is what Luke describes about Paul's missionary journey here. He says this, when they had preached the gospel to that city, he's talking about the city of Derby, and they had made many disciples. So, so they preached the gospel and they made many disciples. So, so preaching the gospel, to the proclamation of the word, is a part of making disciples, but there's more to making disciples than just proclaiming the word. There's this deed aspect that I want to look at. So um, why do we have to make disciples? That's, that's my question. Why, why do we have to make disciples? Why, why is it that we actually have to do something with what God has done for us? Why, why do we have to do it? Because without someone showing us how to follow Jesus, we're really aimless in life. The folks that I sat next to, uh, Olivia and Matt were their names, um, probably shouldn't have said that, but anyway, on the plane, uh, they're really a description of, of life when you have not yet found Jesus. Jesus has not yet redeemed you. We cover our aimlessness up with a lot of activity, but really we're all asking, why am I here and what am I supposed to be doing? I was, in another example, earlier this summer I was sitting in a, in a, in a room of forthcoming high school seniors uh, that go to Central Gwinnett High School, and I was asked to speak on identity and purpose. And, and the question they all wanted to talk about was not like, hey, you know, give me 10 steps to a better me. That's not what they wanted. You know what they wanted? Why am I here and what am I supposed to be doing? Because what I want to do is when I figure out why I'm here and, and then I kind of couple that with what I'm supposed to be doing, I want to aim my whole life at that purpose. I don't want to be scattered. They're begging to answer this question. And we have, to, we have to be made in disciples and to make disciples because through sin we've lost our way. All of us, as Romans would say, all of us have turned to our own ways and we've made our own golden calves and we've done our own things. And we want, if we want to make 
We, well, we want to make our lives count for eternity. We just don't know how. This is why we tire of finding our life and purpose in our jobs and in our roles. You know why? Because the kids move out of the house and companies change. And we get to that point in life where we're like, why am I here and what am I supposed to be doing? Why, here's why disciples must be made. I want to give you three reasons why. It really has to do about lost identity and authority and, and what we are supposed to look like as God's people. So, so the first one is this. Distortion, there's been a distorted authority and identity through the fall. There's been a distorted authority and identity uh, through the fall. So, so in the garden, we talked about this, how, how the earth was formless and, with, without, and, and void. And God shaped it into something, and he, and he made man out of, out, out of the dirt, and he, and he made woman out of the rib, and, and, he, and he crafted and he created this intelligent design. I mean, he, he made something amazing. And then sin entered into the world, and our first parents, our first parents took the bait of unbelief. And, 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 and they believed that God doesn't have our best interest in mind, and that he cannot be trusted. And what happened in that moment was that humanity was banished from the garden, from the presence of the, the perfect presence of the living God because of sin. And we do not live like God made us to live, and we do not exercise dominion and authority as we were intended to. So one of the things, it's called the, the cultural mandate that God did, was he gave man dominion over creation. He said you can name things and you can steward the earth. Well, all of that was distorted through sin, through the, through the selfishness of sin. And, and one of the things that was distorted was not only how we relate to God, but how we relate to one another. And so because of this distorted idea of authority that it cannot be trusted and God cannot be trusted, we experience this brokenness. And, and church, what we really see is that everything is off in our lives. We don't know what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. So that's where everyone is kind of born into this world seeing and believing. But what, what God does in Jesus is the second thing, is that he redeems authority through the cross. A proper view of authority and the identity that comes from that through the cross. When, when Jesus comes into the world, when he's sent into the world, God knows this about us, and it is the exact reason why God sends Jesus for us. If you have a Bible, flip it over to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Here's what, here's what God's Word says about this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reason that God sent Jesus into the world is so that we can be reconciled to God and to help others be reconciled to God. We don't have to be estranged anymore. Why? Because, because God made Jesus the sin that we are. And then by faith, we have this mission and this participation and this reconciliation with God, which means this. We are one with God once again. And God does this work on his own initiative. He comes down and he saves us and redeems us, and we, by faith, believe in him. But then, 
He doesn't, just, he doesn't just save us so that we can be happy and holy and get on with our own golden calves. He doesn't do that. He sets us on a mission. He gives us a purpose. He gives us an aim in life to make disciples of Jesus. Do you know what it means to be the righteousness of God that 2 Corinthians 5.20 talks about? Because of what Jesus has done for us, that he went on the cross instead of us going on the cross. It means, as we sang earlier, that, and Megan talked about in her prayer this morning, that, that we are perfectly right and, and we behave perfectly in God's sight because of what Jesus has done. Now, when you hear that, you should kind of have a sigh of relief about your soul. You should kind of, everybody should just kind of exhale. Can you do that with me? The pressure's off. You can't blow this up. You can't mess it up. Because God has done all of the heavy lifting. And now he's set us up and freed us to be about his purposes on this world. In this world. And so um, what we see about the first part of that verse in verse 20 is, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. And what that means is, is that we represent Christ. We represent how people can be made one with God through Jesus in this world. We are the representatives. He goes on to say this, so how are we the representatives? Well, God makes his appeal through our lives. He, he, he makes the negotiation through our lives. He's convincing people through the power of his Holy Spirit through our lives. That's how disciples are made. Through our lives. This is why we must be about disciple making. Jesus came to share his authority to make disciples with us. He's given us this responsibility. He's empowered us to make disciples. And the, the, the third thing about disciple making is this. I've already said it. He shares his authority through the Spirit. So I'm going to read a, a very familiar passage of Scripture. And I want you to see it through a new lens. That, that God has not only redeemed you, but he saved you and given you purpose and authority to make disciples in Jesus' name. Now, read this as kind of like a manual for life now. Listen to this as a manual for life. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them. This is after he was raised from the dead. He was making an appearance, making appearances all around. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So let's stop right there. Why does he start out talking about authority? Why would he do that? Because only people that have authority have the power to change things. Jesus starts out by saying, hey, the same authority that created and cultivated the earth in Genesis 1 has been given and shared with me. Now, why has it been given? Let's read on. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make is the verb here. Go, therefore, and make disciples. We have power to make something. He has shared his authority with us that we can cultivate and create something in this world. It's amazing when you think about it. He's given us power to make disciples who have been, they, they, they were distorted, They're, the image of God was distorted in them, but now through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are shaping image bearers of Jesus through the power of his Spirit working in us. 
All authority has been given. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So, so what he was saying here was not just Jewish culture, but Gentiles as well. And we see that begin to play out in the book of Acts. And now it's full on in Lawrenceville, isn't it? We're pre- I think we're pretty much all Gentiles here. This is a Gentile church. And it's not only a Jew-Gentile church, you, you know, the diversity piece, but it's every nation. We're beginning to see it play out in our own community. And baptize, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Give them the sign and the seal that they belong to Jesus and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So he said, hey, here's the work you're to get about. Make disciples, baptize them, bring them into the local church where disciples live and grow, and then teach them. So there's this teaching element, and then there's this, this, this word, and there's this doing element. It, it's both and in making disciples. And then he, he wants to remind us that even though he's given us authority, he's called us to do this, he gives us this great promise. And what is it? I'm with you, always. I'm the one doing this through you. You can't mess it up. Just be about making disciples. This is why Jesus will say in John 14, 12, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. What do you think the greater works that he's called us to do are? Most of us are going to have the opportunity to make more than 12 disciples in our lifetime. We're going, to, we're going to be about greater works because His Spirit is living in us. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heaven representing our case before our Father in heaven. And now we have this power to go and change the world because it's God's, it's God's world and we're about redeeming it. He's making His appeal through our lives. Yet many times... Many times we are ashamed. We're ashamed. I was thinking about this verse from 1 Thessalonians 2.8 where, where Paul says, you know, not only did we share the gospel, but we shared our lives as well. I think in general, we, we, we're like on the other side of things now. It's, it's like, not only did we, we share our lives, we might share the gospel as well. You know, there, there has to be this, this, this tandem venture of disciple making where it's about word and it's about deed. This is why Paul would say in, in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Now, now listen, all I'm saying is that every time you see disciples made, you see the gospel preached first. And why is that? Or the gospel proclaimed first? Because as Romans 10.17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of the Lord. The way that God makes his appeal through our lives is we make it known who, our hope in life, that it's, that it's through Jesus. And the Holy Spirit just kind of activates that thing and gives us power to shape and to mold people's lives into the image of Jesus. But without the gospel, all we're doing is putting lipstick on a pig. You know, like, I mean, serious. It has to be done through the gospel of Jesus. And... Um, and, and I think just my, my struggle is that I'm ashamed as well. It's not just you. I'm ashamed. I mean, I was sitting over lunch with my six-year-old and my four-year-old boys this week with a guy, and, um, and, and um, he was just asking my boys about, uh, about life, and, and somehow it came up that they had, they had went to uh, VBS or church camp, and, 
and, and they were talking, you know, hey, what did you learn? And, and they're having this really intelligent conversation about it. And then um, I'm thinking, man, this, this guy is not a Christian. I should probably share the gospel right now, and I didn't. And you know what God did? Is he, he pulled it out of my voice. Uh, they were like, uh, he was like, you know, what does it mean to, be, to, 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 to follow Jesus? And they're like, yeah, through, through, through faith. You have to ask for forgiveness. And, and through faith in Jesus, that's how you follow Jesus. And so, you know, even the rocks cry out. You know what I'm saying? Like, God will make his message known, but God, guys, it will be so rewarding for us if we proclaim the gospel to others. It will be so rewarding. We'll find so much joy in it. But so many times I think we've got to confess that we're really ashamed of the gospel. We'll do the works of Jesus, but we won't make the name of Jesus known. And uh, that shame is something that we have to take to God and be honest about where we're at. Um, Second point that I want to make is this, is, is maturing disciples of Jesus. So when we read on in Acts chapter 14, starting in verses, uh, verse 21, the second part of it, so, so he goes on to say this, you know, he's, in Derby they made many disciples, they preached the gospel, made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So Paul's strategy in disciple making was to continue encouraging the disciples he had made to press on and take courage. So this is, the, this is the whole map about, you know, he didn't go the way of Google, but he went the way of the Holy Spirit. He went back to the churches that he'd helped start. Now, what you don't know about Lystra that you would have read in Acts 14 is that he was stoned when he was there. <laughs> he was left for dead. They stoned him. And so when he writes in 2 Corinthians 4, struck down but not destroyed, that is a literal statement. That's not figurative for him. He was literally struck down. They stoned him. So now, what is Paul doing now? He's going back to, to Lystra. Could you imagine what it would be like to be a, a disciple that was made by Paul at Lystra, and you see Paul and his companions rolling back up in the city? Can you imagine what it would do in your heart and in your soul? It would have to encourage you. It would have to be proof that God is living in this dude. Am I right? I mean, why else would he show back up to the people that threw rocks at him and try to kill him? Because God is living in him, and the mission was more important than his own life, than his own comfort. 90% of life is showing up. Let me say that again. 90, here's what I think. 90% of life is just showing up, church. I mean, it really, you think about your life. It's showing up, and the rest kind of works itself out. 90% of following Jesus and continuing to make disciples is just continuing to show up in each other's lives no matter what. It's making a commitment to say, I'm not going to hide. I'm going to show up in this group of guys or this group of girls' lives because God is living in me. And he has power for me to overcome sin and for us to grow together. That's, that, I think that's what we glean from Paul's approach in Acts 14. What would it look like for us to continue showing up? in one another's lives. To make a commitment not to just visit one another, but to continue showing up and sharing deep life together. And, and I just love in Acts 14 how he's, so he just puts everything on the table. He says, hey, through many trials and tribulations, you're going to experience this if you're going to follow Jesus, through many hardships, you will enter the kingdom of God. 
You're going to get there. You're going to think that you're not going to get there, but you're going to get there. He's just real with them in, in, their, in their approach. So here's my question for us. What would it look like to pursue maturity in Christ seriously for us? This is what Paul is pursuing. This is what he's challenging the churches that he's planted to, to pursue. What would it look like for you and for us to pursue maturity in Christ seriously? This is a good start this morning, showing up for corporate worship, right? This is, a, this is a good start for us. But we can't mature just by coming a couple hours a week listening to the gospel preached. There's got to be more than that. There's two things I want to talk about here. The first one is this. You have to choose to be a lifelong learner of Jesus. And the second one is this. You have to choose to prioritize helping others follow Jesus. Now, let me show you where I'm getting this from. Hebrews chapter 5, if you've got a Bible, flip over there, verses 12 through 14. You've got to choose yourself to be a lifelong learner of Jesus. It's like when you're on an airplane and they, they tell you like how to, um, what to do if the plane crashes, you know, and you're like, man, I really don't want to know what to do, you know, and, and they show, okay, if you've got a kid, put the gas mask on yourself first, the oxygen mask, right? And you're thinking, really? Like, just leave the kid? You've got to put it on yourself first so that you can help others, right? This is the same principle here. Is we've got to put the oxygen mask on ourselves before we can make disciples of Jesus, help anyone else do that. So, so putting the oxygen mask on ourselves, here's what it looks like. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, he's reprimanding them a little bit here, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. Not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child, it means his life really hasn't been changed. But solid food is for the mature. There's that word again. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. That is a key statement for what it means to pursue maturity. It's not just a ministry of the word, it's a ministry of deed in our lives. Is we are actually obeying and putting into practice the things that God has called us to do. Now, it's his spirit that's empowering all of it, but we're actually about those things. So, one of the postures of the Holy Spirit that he works into the lives of disciples is an eagerness to chase after Jesus and keep growing. To move from milk to meat, meaning to move from someone else feeding you all the time to you being able to feed yourself the Word and being motivated internally instead of externally. That, that, that's what it means to move into maturity as a follower of Jesus. Is your life begins to be motivated. Maybe someone else kind of helped you get kick-started and jump-started in the faith, but all of a sudden, you're leading yourself in this. Now, you're, you're always doing it in the company of other believers, but you're not depending upon someone else to, 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 to give you the, 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 the spiritual milk every morning. You're up and you're doing it yourself. You're digging in with God yourself. So my, my question to you this morning is this, is who or what is driving your devotion to Jesus? Who is it? What is it? Is it the Spirit of God living inside of you, or is it some external force or pressure thinking, man, I just got to do this quiet time and check the box off, or man, I've got to show up for this group and do this? It's important to prioritize that, but, but the move of maturity for the Christian is that we're internally motivated by God's Spirit living inside of us 
We, we've got we've to own our own spiritual maturity. Listen, it's, 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 not the, it's not the church's responsibility predominantly. Ephesians 4 says that the, the, the pastors and leaders of the church are to help equip the saints for the work of ministry. So, so our job is to help give you avenues and places where you'll be able to grow and be a self-starter on your own. Church, if we can get this down, we'll have no question about what we ought to be doing in Lawrenceville. If we can learn to put the mask, the oxygen mask on ourselves and to follow Jesus on our own, we'll own our faith and we'll be about the work of Jesus. I mean, just think about anything else that you own, whether it be your car or your house, you prioritize the maintenance of that thing or it's in disrepair, maybe, I don't know. Um, you prioritize the maintenance of that. We do the same thing as we walk with Jesus. We prioritize following him and being self-feeders. The second part of this piece of maturity is this, is, is, is once, you've, once you've chosen to, to be about that, is you choose to prioritize helping others follow Jesus, no matter the cost to you. Um, one of the things that we notice about Paul and his companions is that he has this relentless pursuit of maturity. And it's terribly inconvenient. It means showing up in a city that stoned you, right? We see, so what does this mean for us? It means that we begin to show up and keep showing up in people's lives even when it's not convenient and it costs us a lot. We continue showing up. We have to own the fact that we actually do have a responsibility for one another. We actually are our brother's keepers, right? We no longer abdicate spiritual maturity and our responsibility toward one another in helping us pursue Christ together, but we own it. Listen to how Paul described it in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Listen, listen to the language that he uses about what it means to help others pursue spiritual maturity. Him we proclaim. There's the gospel again. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me what a passage so so what does he say here okay so so there's this in disciple making there's this teaching there's this there's this word teaching ministry part of it and then there's this doing obedience part of it so he's saying hey here him we proclaim we do this all through the power of god and then in this in this teaching part of helping others is that is that there's this warning part of it, that, that when people are driving their lives into a ditch, you actually say something about it. We actually walk deeply enough with one another to step out and say something that might offend them for the sake of their maturity in Jesus. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? What if I'm misinterpreted? What if they don't like me anymore? I don't see Paul really struggling that much with those things and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? Why is the whole reason that he's doing this? So that he might have the opportunity to present others mature in Christ. Now, now how does he describe the work of disciple making? For this I toil. 
what's that mean? I work really hard at helping other people follow Jesus and mature in Christ. For this, I struggle. It's not easy helping people follow Jesus. I toil and I struggle. And why do I do it? Because I'm working with all his energy that he's powerfully working within me. Now think about your life and your work. Work is hard. It's a result of the fall. It's not as enjoyable. It's really hard, right? You might work a 70-hour week and you might be really, really tired and exhausted and not want to do anything else, right? Or you might work really hard in the yard or at home or whatever it would be and you might be really, really tired. Paul says that according to Colossians 1, here's what Paul is saying, that God has a continuous amount of energy that he's going to miraculously work into your life for the purpose of helping to present one another mature in Christ. That, That you might get tired doing a lot of things, but when you're about making disciples and helping present one another mature in Christ, you're going to have energy. You're going to have motivation because whose energy is it? It's Christ that's empowering you from the inside out. He's powerfully working his power into your life to help others mature in Christ. So when we, when we, look, when we look at our lives and we think, I just don't know if I can be about disciple making. I don't really have any time. What Paul's saying is you don't really have any time not to. Like, are you tired all the time? Is your, is your schedule too full? What would it look like for this to be your one thing and for everything else to funnel through it? To, to have that type of purpose. I was with Dr. Coleman uh, in Singapore, who's 90 years old now, and this joker lives in Wilmore, Kentucky, and he is still discipling like 20 men by himself. 90 years old. So he worked with Billy Graham for, for several years uh, when he was doing the crusade ministry. And, and so the, the, the Billy Graham Association wanted to do an interview on uh, Dr. Coleman uh, and, and some, some of the other companions uh, that were about those, those crusades before Billy Graham died to kind of to just show what his life's work was about. And, and so when they're interviewing Dr. Coleman, he's telling them about his routine, about how he gets up at you know, 5.30 this day to disciple this group of guys, and he, and he stays up late uh, you know, on this day, and he has them over for dinner to disciple this other group of guys. And, and, and uh, one of the things that Dr. Coleman says in the interview is he says, listen, I'm still learning how to follow Jesus. He's 90. I'm still learning how to follow Jesus. I don't have it down yet. I need these guys in my life. And then he said something like to this, I want to wear out for God. At the end of my life, I want to be tired for the right reasons. I want to make my life count for the things that God has made me to make my life count for. I want to make disciples of Jesus. Lastly, I want to land the plane here. So we've talked about making disciples of Jesus, maturing disciples of Jesus. Now we're looking at multiplying disciples of Jesus. Acts 14 in our text, verse 23 says this, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the work in whom they had believed. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed, sorry. One of the things that, that, that seemed to be a mark of maturity in the churches that Paul planted was multiplication. Uh, m- meaning that that church is able to reproduce not only churches, 
but disciples of Jesus. The, the disciples that Paul made were actually able to multiply their lives into the lives of other people. So in this, in this case, in Acts 14, one of, the reason why Paul went back is to strengthen the disciples, but also strengthen the churches by helping to give them leadership, to give them a self-governing body of elders. And he was helping to di- help them to discern who those elders would be. And so we see him really about this, this mission here, that, that a church is not ready uh, to multiply until it's able to manage itself. And so he wanted to make sure that that was in place. Um, pa- Paul would say it in another way to Timothy like this in 2 Timothy 2.2. He says this, And what you've heard from me, look, okay, I want you to recount the generations of disciples he's talking about here. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So let's think about this. So what you've heard from Paul. So you've got Paul. So Paul is passing down the message of the gospel in word and in deed to Timothy. So you've got Paul, then we've got Timothy and many witnesses. There's been some other people that are around Paul and the companions. He's saying, okay, that, that's, that's kind of, we're getting going here, that's good. But I want you to also entrust this to faithful men or women, this message, this lifestyle, this great commission lifestyle, who will also be able to teach others. When I read this, I'm immediately convicted because my vision for my life is far too small. I'm only thinking about Timothy and many witnesses if I'm Paul. Hey, how can I just get these guys mature in Christ? But Paul's saying you've got to broaden the horizon and think about how this thing is going to multiply out for generations to come. In other words, what he's saying here is that multiplication is the evidence of maturation. Multiplication is the evidence of maturity in your life. And a lot of times you might not see your maturity in Christ for years and years to come. You might not see the fruit of your life ever if you're living the way God has intended for you to live. Think about that. That's a, that's a really countercultural way to live, right? Because what our culture says is that you've got to be instantly gratified. And if you can't instantly like, you know, produce an image on social media or you can't instantly enjoy the food or the, the fruit of your labor, then it's not worth it. The Bible has a completely different message about what it means to be mature. It's about giving yourself away for decades and decades to come through what you're doing right now. So what is keeping us back from multiplying our lives? Now, at New City Church, we have, we have a, a, a discipleship structure that, that you know, there's a, there's a program and a plan in place there. Um, and it's good. However, what we're really after is a lifestyle of disciple making, a Great Commission lifestyle. And we think that, that what we're doing with discipleship helps to kind of jumpstart that lifestyle as we think about making disciples the way that Jesus did in the context of the local church. So, so that's what we're really after. So my question to you is this, is what is keeping you back from multiplying your life today? For some of us, it's equipping. We don't know how to make disciples because we've never been discipled. That's some of us in this room. And it's really important, guys, to be honest if that's you. 
I've just been going to church. I've never really had someone get engaged and get involved in my life and help me follow Jesus in the hard places. If that's you, my challenge to you is to get plugged in with what we're doing here. I, I haven't seen many churches do it much better than what we're going after. And I, and, I, and I say that in a humble way because this is really what we founded the whole church on, is this need for people to be made into the image of Jesus through discipling relationships. Now for others of you, um, what's keeping you back is courage. It's courage. It's, you've got all the tools you need, um, but it scares you to get involved in other people's lives. And so you kind of stay back in your, in your safe group, in your safe zones, and you think, ah, I don't really have time. This isn't the right season. That might be true. But I was talking with a friend of mine this week, and, and, uh, and, and I was telling him a little bit about this, and he said, you know, I've been thinking for a couple years now that Man, maybe I should start something in my neighborhood. There's this group of people that, that get together. I wonder if I started like a Bible study or just a get-together, just to get to know people, uh, if God would, would use that. And, and I just said, hey, what's, what's holding you back from doing that? And he just said, I, myself, you know, courage. I got, all the, I got all the skills I need. I'm just not doing it. And see, what happens is God puts those ideas into our mind, doesn't he? Those ideas where we'll step out and we'll, we'll walk on the water a little bit like Peter did. But you know what the enemy loves to do is he, come, he loves to come and snatch that thought, that thought of faith away from us. What would it look like even if just a handful of us began to have courage in those moments? I mean, what if we look back a year from now at that time and we, and we said, man, this guy stepped out here and, and this lady stepped out over here and, and they began to do this. And, and, and now look at, look at the people that are now involved in our lives and are being made into disciples of Jesus that were not. The benefit far outweighs the cost of it when you look at it that way. What if you knew that out of all the things that you will do in this life, there's one that God promises to give you power and strength in? Making disciples of Jesus. So, if we're really on God's mission, we'll close this out here, um, most of the fruit that we produce, uh, we may never see. Um, let me show you a picture of, uh, of three guys and myself um, that, uh, that you guys should really know. Um, yeah, these guys right here. Yeah, yeah, those guys right there. This is, good, this is a good-looking group of guys, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, come on, yeah. And, uh, and so these guys right here, you should really know these guys because they have had an impact on your life. Now, I say that kind of uh, jokingly, but, but, but then again, not really, because these are the guys that led me to Christ, and not only did they tell me about Jesus, but they showed me the way of Jesus when I was, a, when I was like a junior in high school. And, and, uh, and, and the guy on the left is Terry. He's, he's the guy that, that actually really told me about Jesus, and, and he baptized me. And, and, uh, and the guy on the right of me is Chad, and, and, and he, he, he like invited me into his family, and Scott was his best friend, and I played basketball with him. And these guys begin to rub off on my life. And I begin to see what it looks like to follow Jesus through how they invested in my life. All four of us are pastors now. God was doing something special on that little country road in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. We had no idea what he was up to, but I looked back and I thought, man, these guys really didn't, they didn't really know what they were doing. They just loved Jesus and wanted to tell other people about it. That's really all you need. 
you love Jesus and you just show up in people's lives. So church, I just want to challenge you to think about the end, to begin with the end in mind, maybe this, 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 as, we, as we come into this, this summer. What are you going to make your life count for? When you look back on your life, what are the things that are going to matter most and, and what are you going to do about that? Because you have an opportunity now to be about the one thing that Jesus promises to give you power and skill to do, which is to make disciples. Let's pray together. Father, uh, to, to treasure you is to treasure your son Jesus and the work that he has given for us to do in this world. Um, God, may we be the type of people that sow the gospel generously into the soil of Lawrenceville and the surrounding areas, into our neighborhoods, into this world. And may we sow it deeply and generously for the rest of the days of our lives. Lord, I pray for those in this room um, that, that, that maybe they're not yet followers of Jesus. They've just kind of been going through the, the motions of this thing and, and haven't really been changed by Jesus. But I pray that you would, you would touch them this morning and invite them into your family and, and they, would, they, would, they would move on that invitation this morning. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for those that, uh, that, that maybe feel a little bit stuck in their walk with God this morning. Maybe they lack courage. Would you encourage their hearts this morning to know that you are so eager to use them in your kingdom? And Lord, I pray for those that, uh, that are on your mission today, that are they're about disciple making, that, that have chosen to put their hand in the plow because you've called them to it. I pray that you would strengthen their souls, strengthen their hearts, Strengthen the work of their hands uh, as they're about your business in this world. So Jesus, thank you for showing us the way and uh, calling us into your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.